Today, as we look at our scripture, we're looking at the concept and the whole idea of trust. Every day, each and every one of us, we put our trust in things and in people. We trust that our alarm will go off, especially on those early mornings when we have a flight, such as the one that I took when I had to leave the house at 3 a.m., I trusted that my alarm would go off, but I still woke up every 15 minutes or so after midnight to, just to make sure. We trust that when we turn the key in the ignition, the car will start. We trust our employers to pay for our labors. We trust our doctors when they prescribe the medicines. Each time that we make a purchase and we swipe that card, we're asking the creditors to trust us. We'll pay for it. And for children, young children demonstrate some of the greatest trust in their parents and their loved ones. All you have to do is watch that child that's standing on the top of a fence or a rock or way up high, the side of a pool or wherever it is, and as they're launching off, they said, catch me. They are trusting that you will be there and that you will indeed catch them. We tell our children to trust us when they ask for advice. We trust them to come home at curfew, at least until they don't. We trust our children, our spouses, our friends to tell the truth, to make wise decisions and choices until they don't. And then we tell them that they have to earn our trust back because it has been broken. But trust is not always easy. We don't always let our children borrow the car until they have proved that they are responsible drivers. We don't trust people or tend to trust people that we don't know. We lock our doors and we put the alarms on our cars. And I'm sure that many of you can remember the day when you could leave the house and not lock a door. The last two churches I served at, there were people that would tell me that as they would come into church, they would just drop their car keys under the floor mat and then go on into church. Those days are gone. The truth is that we trust some people more than others. We might even say that there are degrees of trust. When someone asks if they can borrow something, no matter what the value, whether it's something as small as a ball or something more significantly valuable, such as an iPad or a phone or a Nikon camera or a car, we ask ourselves, can I trust them? Can I trust them to take care of it, to return it, to return it in the same condition in which they borrowed it? It is virtually impossible to go through a day without putting our trust in another person, consciously or unconsciously. Every day we are making decisions that what we do, will we do it or will we not put our trust in another? And from the earliest pages of the scriptures, we read story after story, account after account, where trust is at the core. Example after example of people God's people, they are at crossroads. They are faced with life-changing decisions. Will they trust God or not? Adam and Eve, will they trust God's words and instructions or, as we know, they didn't? Noah, 
when warned about things not yet seen, chose to trust God and to build that ark. Abraham, when called to pick up and go, he obeyed, even though he didn't know where he was going. Abraham, later in his life, perhaps the most, uh, most well-known example of trust in his life, when God asked him to take his one and only son and sacrifice. God, Abraham trusted. And then there are stories of Isaac and Jacob and Joshua. There are stories of Joseph, of Moses. Moses' life were filled with examples when he trusted and when he didn't. His lack of trust ultimately cost him from entering into the promised land. The Israelites in the desert as they wandered over 40 years, they faced opportunity and situation after situation. Can they trust God to provide and to lead? And when they didn't, they wandered some more. Joshua, coming into now the new promised land, the army at Jericho trusted that if they marched around the city the way that God said, that the walls would come tumbling down. And we can continue on through the scriptures as we take that walk through Saul, through David, through Solomon, through the prophets, Daniel and the lion's den, talk about trust. The disciples, the women those earlier followers of Jesus, each of them had to make choices to follow God. They had to put their trust in God as God was leading. There's so many examples and, 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 and people that we could explore with. I really did have a hard time narrowing it down. But I decided that today we would look at Joshua. And see what Joshua can teach us about living a life of faith and trust in God. The lessons that he shares and that were held in common with so many of the other biblical characters. We could apply these to the same, the same uh, lessons to others just as we sh- should and can apply them to ourselves. In the book of Joshua, and there is no slide for this. Because I was literally rewriting it this morning. I didn't want to call Chris to say, hey, Chris, you said I could ask you to put up another slide, but I'm not going to. Let me instead paint a story for you. Joshua and approximately two million of his closest friends were poised on one side of the Jordan River. They were ready to cross over into the promised land. All that stood before them now was all of that separated them now from that long-awaited promised land was the Jordan River in front of them. And just in case you're having trouble trying to visualize two million people, what in the world is that like? Imagine, think about Chicago. Think about Houston. Think about Philadelphia. These folks are camped now, waiting, waiting for the word from their leaders, waiting for the word from God to go. In Joshua uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it reads that after three days, the officers went throughout the camp saying, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of your God and the Levite priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. The directions are clear. And that is Joshua's first lesson to us. 
we are to follow God's lead. As they are camped at the river's edge, they are in a situation of impossibilities because there's no bridges to cross the river. There are no barges to set across, to shuttle them safely across. And nowadays, if you look at the Jordan River, it's pretty small. But it was flood stage, and it is spread out, and it was wide. But they'd been here before in these impossible situations when they had the Red Sea in front of them and they had the Egyptians close behind them and they had drawn on their history again and again, able to recount other times when God had rescued them from points of impossibility in their lives. Other times when they had trusted God and God had delivered them. When David was a young boy standing up against the giant Goliath, when the walls of Jericho, as I said, came tumbling down, when the pillar of fire was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, each example of God's faithfulness in history has helped to strengthen their own faith and their own trust in God now as they sit ready to follow God's lead and to go when and where God says to go. The second lesson that Joshua teaches us is about the importance of recognizing God's holiness. Because you see, as if the task of getting all of those two million people across was not enough, there are just a few more details that they had to pay attention to, and they had to observe them very, very carefully. Now, you might remember what the ark is. The ark is a golden, gold-covered wooden chest that contains the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And for Israel, the ark symbolized the presence of God. And so the officers had told the Israelites that as the priests carried the ark, the people were to be separated by 2,000 cubits, or, as we know, 1,000 yards. Or, if you can't visualize a thousand yards, because I can't, it is about the length of ten football fields. Now, that is a lot of space between the ark and the first people that will cross. Why? Why such a distance? A couple of reasons. Partly because the ark needed to be visible to more than just those in the front row. If they walked right behind the priest, only those that had gotten that first front row would be able to see it. But more importantly was a spiritual reason. It was the reason of holiness of God. Because there needed to be space between the ark and the people to remind them that they could not come into the presence of God unless God granted it so with grace. Remember when God called to Moses from the burning bush and he said, take off your feet, your shoes, excuse me, leave your feet on, but take off your shoes. (laughs) Do you hate that when your mind just gets ahead of you? Take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. So too, the ark, around the ark was holy ground because God was holy and is holy. Joshua, in this lesson, teaches us again that God is holy then and now. 
Joshua's third lesson is the fact that we need to be cleansed. They need to prepare themselves to take this next journey. The Israelites knew how important it was to prepare themselves to be ready, to open themselves up to God's leading, to get ready for God to do something miraculous in their lives and in their history. They knew how important it was to cleanse themselves at such important times, times when they were preparing themselves to be open to God's leading. Now, in one sense, they should have been doing this all along. But the reality is it didn't happen just as it doesn't happen with us. What were some of the things that the Israelites might have been dealing with in their lives and needed to be cleansed before they made this next part of the journey? Well, if we look back at their history, we can sort of imagine. Pride, greed, anger, lust, marital strife disobedience to God, theft. During the 40 years that they had wandered through the wilderness and long before, some of that ugliness in their own personalities, in their own weaknesses, the flaws, it's certainly been coming up and working out of their lives. As they grumbled and they mumbled to God because they were tired of eating the manna day after day. They were right to cleanse themselves, for now was not just an ordinary day. They were on the brink of God fulfilling his promise of moving them into the promised land. They realized that even as God had provided for them throughout their journey, had provided for them daily, had kept them safe day in and day out, now God would be doing something miraculous again. And beginning with the water that separated them from that long-awaited promised land, God would be doing something miraculous in their lives and in their history. They had forgotten a lot of things about being in relationship with God, about being obedient to God and trusting God. But they remembered and were doing their best to clean up their act now to prepare themselves, to look back so that they could go forward, to look within so that they could make those next steps, to be ready to open themselves for God's leading. Not just physically to go across the waters when the ark was moving, but to be spiritually ready in their hearts to follow God and to go where God was leading them. They wanted to be able to focus on living a life that was pleasing to God. They had a fresh start, a new beginning now before them. What were those aspects of their lives and their behaviors that they did not want to take with them into the next part of their journey? What would they cast off and leave on this side of the river? Many years ago now, when I was in a very, very difficult place, I had been meeting with a spiritual director And it had been a very painful time in my life. And like the Israelites, I was being prepared to make a next major move in my life. And during the uh, the times that my spiritual director and I sat, I had been pouring out the hurts and the areas of my life, things that I felt where I had been wronged. Those resentments had been building up and I'd been holding on to them. And after carefully listening time after time, my spiritual director said to me when I took a breath and a pause one day and said, are you ready? I said, ready for what? 
She says, are you ready? Are you ready to let go of all that you have been carrying? Are you tired of carrying all that garbage with you? Are you ready to let go and to leave it behind now? Are you ready to let go of your hurts, your resentments, the places and the the way that people have hurt you? Are you ready to let go? Are you ready to cleanse yourself, to let go of that stinky garbage that I had been carrying? Are you ready to let go and open yourself up to wherever it is that God is preparing you to go next in your life? It was a day of transformation for me. God's lessons. First, to follow God's lead. Second, to recognize God's holiness. And third, to cleanse and prepare ourselves for what God is ready to do in our lives. The fourth lesson is that we will get our feet wet. As the people waited on the bank of the Jordan, they received finally the orders from the leaders to get ready to cross the promised land. But it wasn't like a start of a race when everybody was like just poised and ready to run. Because they were not going to start off at a dead run. They were going to wait some more. As we learn in the book of Joshua in the third and the fourth chapters. Because first it was that the priests needed to come right to the water's edge. The priests needed to come right there to the water's edge. And everyone was now expectant. The excitement, the anticipation was growing. They were now ready, having cleansed themselves, done what they could to be able to make that next step. They were ready for God to do something miraculous again. But what would God do? And this is where faith and trusting God is at the very core. Remember that nothing happened until the priest actually stepped into the water, until they got their feet wet, until the priest actually stepped in, the water continued to flow. But when they got their feet wet, when they made that step into the water, then, then is when the water ceased. That is where trust in God comes to play. And it is that same trust and that same faith that centuries later allowed Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water toward Jesus. They, the priest and the rest of the two million, had to trust that God would act. And when they stepped into the water, when the priests made that step, when their toes began to get wet, then the waters rolled back. The scripture tells us that it was not just at the site of the crossing, but it happened some 20 miles upstream as well. And they could walk across again on dry land. I don't know how long it took for them, all those people, to get across. I try to imagine and to visualize how that would be. I have no idea how wide it was that the path, you know, where the water uh, emptied. But the ground was dry and they took it step by step by step in trust and faith. Each step that they took on that land, they were stepping and walking in the trust of God. Still, I wouldn't be too surprised that those that were at the back of the line weren't saying, come on, guys, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I don't want to be left here if the water's closed. Keep moving, keep moving. 
trust with each and every step, each and every one of those two million people had to have trust in God that they would make it across because God said, go. Joshua's lessons, follow God's lead, recognize God's holiness, cleanse and prepare yourselves, get your feet wet. Joshua's fifth lesson is we need to set up markers. As Joshua crossed the Jordan, he instructed the Israelites to pick up stones, 12 stones to mark this place where God did something amazing and miraculous. Markers would serve to remind them and their children and their children's children down through the generations that God did something here. The markers are there because we tend to forget they forgot. We need to look back and to remember what God has done, that God has been faithful. Because it is in those markers, those pointing out that God's greatness and faithfulness have been there down through the ages. That build our trust and our faith as we look to the future. It isn't that we sit here today thinking that, oh, God's here today, that's all I need. But we look back to see that God has been faithful in our lives and that gives us the courage and the strength to move forward. We could say, I think, that we, Bethany, are also sitting on the river's edge, that we here now, and I don't think anybody would, would uh, uh, disagree, we are at a time of transition because we are at a time in between senior pastors or lead pastors. We may not be making the physical move that Bethany once made from New Britain to here. Yet we are at a time of of preparation for God to do what God will do to help lead us to the next. Joshua said, pick up 12 stones and make markers. This is part of what the vitality process is for us here, I believe, as, as Rich was talking about. We need to look back at Bethany. The markers of all that and all of those lives, what has been changed because of what God did then, because that's what built for us. We put markers in place because God did something here. And it, is the most import- and it is most important to set up those markers, to mark that God split the waters, to mark that God did something miraculous, to mark that God led them out of slavery, to mark, to mark, to mark. The markers are there because we are a forgetful people. Each time that we come to a new storm, we forget what God has done before. We forget that God, the mighty, the miraculous, has led before. And so we need to mark it again to remind ourselves that we can look back and claim that trust in God again. The miracles that God did yesterday, we forget when we face a new storm today. We forget what God has done. And the more intense the present-day battles and storms, the harder it is sometimes for us to remember those markers and for us to remember that God has been there. Because we get so wrapped up and consumed in today's storms and issues and battles and struggles that we forget the markers and all that God has done for us yesterday and the day before and all the way through scriptures. 
The more intense today's battles are, the more the markers are needed. In times of trouble and doubt, the Israelites could go back through history and they could retell the times when they had seen the greatness and the faithfulness of God. They could tell the story of how God led them out of Egypt, led them out of slavery, led them across the Red Sea, how God had been faithful in the wilderness. They could tell the stories about, as they looked at those markers, to reclaim God's faithfulness and to renew their trust in God. And it is important to look back and to say that God was faithful then, and God was faithful then, and God was faithful then. But no matter what we face today, no matter what we face tomorrow, God can be trusted. God will continue to lead us. God will continue to be holy. Just as Joshua did, just as the Israelites did, and Moses and David and others before them have trusted God down through the ages, we are asked to continue to trust God in our lives today. The markers are there so that when we have those doubts, that we can go back and be reminded of God's work in history, in our history. God started something way back there. The markers give us the faith and build our trust to move forward into tomorrow. The markers ground us and our children in faith that is ours. And that is why we teach the truths of the Old Testament. That is why we tell the stories of Joshua and the Israelites as they cross the Jordan. That is why we continue to read and teach the scriptures. It points us to God. The markers are not the object of our worship. They point us the one that we do worship. Joshua said, tell one another, teach each other. Our children, teach your children about the markers. And when they say, why are those stones here? You are able to recount to them the stories. And you are able to point to God that God did something here. And so that they too may grow in their faith and their trust in God because those stones, those markers, point us toward God. The markers are not to anchor us down. They compel us to move forward. Yes, we do look back at them. But more so, we are compelled to move forward. We know what lies behind us. We know where we have been. We know individually where we have been. We know where we have, what has brought us to this point. As a church, we sort of know what has brought us to this point. But it is a time during this time of vitality, during this history time that, that Rich was talking about. It is a time for us to look back and say, these are the markers where God was at work in our lives, where we allowed God to, be, to make a significant transition in our hearts and in our our future. We know what is behind us. We need to tell the story to one another. We know where we have been. And just ahead of us, just on the other side of that river, is still the unknown. It will take trust from each and every one of us to make that next step of the journey We cannot rush alone on our own. We cannot rush ahead of the priest, as it said. We cannot rush ahead of God. But we need to wait, and we need to prepare. We need to reflect of God's holiness, and we need to prepare ourselves to say, God, 
I'm here. I want to celebrate the past. I want to be part of what has gone on. I want to hear how God has been working in the lives of our students at Chick. I want to hear how God has been working in the lives of our students at camp. I want to hear how God has been working in the lives of those who are 50, 60, 70, 90. It doesn't matter your age. I want to hear how God has been working in the lives of our teens and our young adults, our young families. I want to hear... And we all need to hear, where are your markers? How can we grow together? We would not be here today if it wasn't for what God did then. If it wasn't for what the people have done before us, who fed us and led us and taught us. And we mark those markers because those are significant times of God's work in our lives. We need to claim those markers and to remind each other of God's faithfulness and working in our lives in the life of the church. But it didn't stop then. It continues today. It took place at Chick. It takes place at Covenant Harbor. And, and it takes place at Pilgrim Pines. It takes place in our daily lives. And we need to share that with one another. And each and every one of us is called daily to decide that this day forward, I will follow God's lead. The people didn't stay at the Jordan. They didn't camp there and live there forever. It is important to celebrate history during, especially during this time of transition and during this time of vitality as we begin to move forward. What are those major things that we're going to carry with us? As my spiritual director said, what are those things that you're going to leave behind to lighten the load so that you can follow Jesus? It is important that each of us, especially now, remember that we are looking to the future and that we want to be open to where God is leading us. Let, us, let God build the markers in us as a church and in us personally. And help and let God help to repair us to be willing to step into the water when we are told to go. To make to get our feet wet because we trust that God is at work and ready to do a great thing, many, many great things in our lives today and again in the future. As we come, we are sort of at a crossroads, I think, in many ways. We're at that pivotal point. We're camped here waiting, preparing our, t- you know, and it's not just, hey, let's, let's camp out here for a little while and have a great time. But what did the Israelites do? What did Joshua do with his two million closest friends? He prepared them so that they could listen and be ready for God's leading. They continue to point to the holiness of God and to draw that into their lives. They continue to reflect on where God had led them so that they could follow through with trust. They continue to prepare and cleanse themselves that they might be open to God's leading. It's so easy to look back and to look back and to be caught back there in some of the muck. And we all have muck in our lives. But we're at the water's edge. Soon, God will say go. 
God is leading us. Cleanse ourselves so that we're ready to go, focusing on the holiness of God